the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Are you ready to go? Good Tuesday morning, morning to you. Thank you for joining us. It's 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we have a lot of work to do today. Today, On this 15th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022, we are loaded up with very important guests. We have a lot of very important things to talk about, not the least of which is the theft of the gubernatorial race in the state of Arizona. That is not an opinion. That is not um, uh, sour grapes. It's not just being butthurt about a result that I wanted not happening, such as Carrie Lake being the uh, uh, the governor of Arizona. This is so much more than that. How do I know? Well, I'm going to share it with you coming up in just a bit. But Carrie Lake has uh, been robbed of the election in Arizona uh, through a very coordinated plan of election theft that I will lay out for you. And this comes not from me, like I said, or my hurt feelings or my disappointment. This comes from a Maricopa County election judge named Michelle Swinnick, who has laid it all out. She has come forward to report everything she experienced in Maricopa County on Election Day. She has worked there as a judge. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spell it out for you. Theft 
of American elections leads to exactly what the Democrats cried about, an end to democracy. And they are fine with crushing democracy through election theft and fraud. But as soon as you complain about it, you are the one that is a threat to democracy. It is a remarkable thing. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to talk about that with Kersenow among others, coming up at 1010. Before that, at 935, about a half an hour from now, we're going to talk to Dakota Sawyer. Dakota, of course, is the co-host of the Monday Night Roundtable here on our sister station on 1220 The Word. He is also a former candidate now and a future candidate, a young man with an extraordinary future. Uh, But we're going to talk to him uh, about something that he observed, did Dakota Sawyer, uh, at at a school board's event. And Dakota is uh, is all over it. He saw some things, and he posted some things about what he saw that I think uh, are extraordinarily important for us to share. So this was at the Ohio School Board Association Conference. He was there covering it, essentially, for his uh, Monday night show with George Satari and others, uh, but also, I think, just to let the people know. And uh, that's what he's going to do this morning. He's going to tell you what he saw and heard, and it's not it's not comforting. So Dakota's going to join me in about a half an hour. Kersenow is going to join me in an hour. And then at 11.05, rather, in hour number three, Tom DeWeese will be joining us. Tom DeWeese is going to be the featured speaker tomorrow night at our Citizens for Free Speech in-person event at Liberty Valley Church in Northfield. Tom, of course, is the uh, founder and policy uh, president of the American Policy Center. And uh, he's going to talk to us about the Great Reset tomorrow. And I'm going to get a little preview of that at 11.05 this morning. So a lot of work to do. <clears throat> Dakota Sawyer on the education front. Uh, we're going to talk to Peter Kersenow at 11.10 on elections and education. And we're going to talk to Tom DeWeese about the Great Reset and what is in store for this country going forward. So all of that is coming up on Always Right Radio this morning. Before we get started with my news of the day and the monologue I've got planned for you, how about we rise? Patriots, stand. Stand firm. Stand fast. Face your flag. If you do not have a flag, close your eyes and imagine one. But put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance to the greatest country, the most glorious republic in the history of human civilization, regardless of how many people try to steal it from us. We will fight back. And remember, that's the one thing I told you after last week's election. One week ago today, we did not get what we wanted, but we're still in the fight. We did not knock out the opponent. We did not get knocked out. Ring the damn bell and let's start the next round. That's how I feel about it, and I know you're with me. If you are a believer in stealing elections, if you are a believer in projecting all of the terrible things you do to a country upon your opponents as if it's something that they are doing, when it's what you have planned all along, well, you don't understand nor believe in anything those stars and stripes have to offer. You are therefore exempt from the request to stand and pledge allegiance to it. Instead, take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback and toward the new national soccer team, which I'll explain in a moment as well. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, just super quick before I get into the really important news. Did you see this? You know, I guess the World Cup starts next week. I don't follow soccer, but it does. And I saw a news story this morning that made me want to vomit. 
the U.S. soccer team that's going to the World Cup, which apparently is being held in Qatar, or Qatar, depending on how you like to pronounce it, um, they have decided to change their their crest, which was, as you can imagine, red, white, and blue, but is now red and blue and purple and yellow and orange and green. And, yeah, they made the USA red, white, and blue crest rainbow-colored to support the LGBTQ-inclusive community. They have changed America's national colors on their uniforms, which means they're going to Qatar, representing some unknown country, because the country that I know has red, white, and blue, and no others. So, like I said, they don't understand what the stars and stripes mean, and they're making it very, very plain and very clear and very obvious on their uniforms. So you go ahead and take that knee during the anthems and anything else that might happen over there in Qatar. All right, um, I want to start not with the uh, Arizona theft, because I'm going to cover a lot of that with Peter Kersenow. I want to start, actually, with this the latest on the education front, because as I said yesterday, this is a hill on which I will die. Teachers unions, and I gave you a little bit of this yesterday. I didn't give you all of them, though. Um, I did last night, if you watched my podcast with uh, Jack Windsor, our podcast, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, which is um, on Facebook Live now, and it has been for its first four episodes, uh, we will start getting those uploaded to YouTube, to Rumble, to, I believe, Apple TV, and to Roku, and also to Spotify and Podbean. We're going to put them everywhere so that you can watch them after the fact if you don't hear them live. But last night, Jack and I talked about this, and I want to talk about education this morning. Obviously, with Dakota coming up in a bit, it just kind of works out perfectly. Jonathan Turley, professor at George Washington, law professor at George Washington University, uh, commented on this, said National Education Association, that's the largest teachers union in in the country, is under fire for tweeting that educators, quote, know better than anyone, end quote, what students need. I read that quote to you yesterday, that tweet yesterday. And the, excuse me, the NEA is not alone, certainly. Some members of Congress, Jonathan Turley points out, are even more direct in swatting down parental rights, including the likes of uh, Sir Fartsalot, Eric Swalwell. Uh, Eric Swalwell, and Jack Windsor read this quote to us last night on the podcast, um, literally tried to compare teachers to surgeons and to attorneys, saying, oh my gosh, how do these parents think that they have the right to replace the experts? like the teachers, it would be like patients going in and saying, I'll do the surgeries myself. It would be like um, clients going in and telling their attorneys, you're not needed, I'll try this case myself. Whatever happened to deferring to the experts? The ignorance of such a statement is is really hard to quantify. Um, the comparison of surgeons to teachers is quite simply embarrassing. As I said on the podcast last night, I was a teacher for the first six years of my professional career out of college. Um, And I'll tell you something. I was an expert in my field. I was an expert at grammar, mechanics of language, composition, literature, instruction, and interpretation. I was an expert in those things. I was an English teacher, and I feel like I could probably teach most of, if not all of those things, to all of my students better than any parent ever could. That part is, sure, expertise, but that is where it ends. It would never be and never was my job to go beyond teaching them English, just like the math teacher across the hall. She was wonderful. I loved her. Just like the math teacher across the hall taught algebra and mathematical concepts, 
not sexual identification, pronoun changes, transitioning without parents' knowledge. She she didn't teach them sexual orientation or sex, period. She taught them math. That is the limit of our expertise. And when parents want to jump in and say, stop with, with, you know, stop right there with, with those areas of expertise and we're good. But if you start trying to instill strange concepts about sex and sexuality into my third graders' minds, we're going to fight. We're going to have a problem. Eric Swalwell thinks you shut up. Shut up. Teachers are experts. Not in those areas, they're not. Teachers, the teachers union, the largest in the country is the National Education Association. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I was talking about. Yesterday, I told you about that first tweet that Turley and others, there's even a Fox News story about it now. That one was, quote, educators love their students. First of all, they're not their students. They're not their students. These are the parents' children and the parents' students. You are their teachers. You want to phrase that a certain way, go ahead and say educators love the students in their classes, but they're not their students. Educators love their students and know better than anyone what they need to learn and to thrive. You do not know better than parents, and this is the fight especially when you are telling them and undermining their parents and saying, if you want to use different pronouns, shh, I got your back. We won't tell mom and dad. Wait, what? If you really think you like boys instead of girls, shh, we won't tell anyone. If you really think you are a boy instead of a girl, shh, It's okay. Mom and dad will never have to know. Are you kidding me? The NEA believes this is reality. Another tweet from the NEA yesterday. Together, families and educators are an essential team for advocating for the resources and opportunities all students need. Out-of-touch billionaires are not. Betsy DeVos, the former education secretary, responded to that one by saying, you misspelled parents. That's because they didn't include parents. And they seem to be putting educators on the same level of families. You are not part of any team to advocate for anything having to do with my kids other than you teach them biology. I'll teach them about their own biology and their own chromosomal science and their own anatomy. You don't need to teach them anything except for what's in that lab and what's in that textbook. Another tweet, Uh, we will not stop fighting for our students. Again, there's that line, our students. Not the students in our classrooms, our students. At the ballot box, the bargaining table, school board meetings, and wherever decisions about them are made. That's the quiet part out loud. That's the gauntlet being thrown down. We will not stop fighting you at the school board meetings and wherever decisions about our kids are are made they're saying parents keep coming to the school board meetings we're not budging and we will fight you because we know better than you know what your kids need they literally tweeted that and while we're on it just one more quickie (sighs) to get or excuse me 
We, when students participate in school meals programs, their comprehension and attendance improve. That's the only one they got right. But they're still ignorant for tweeting it. Why? Because they won't contact Joe Biden and his Department of Education and tell them, withdraw your threat to withhold school meal funding from states that don't cooperate with your change to Title IX, putting girls and young women at risk. Do not change Title IX to include sexual identity so that biological males who like to play dress-up can go into girls' sports and dominate them and perhaps hurt them and go into girls' locker rooms and shower rooms with their male anatomy exposed and the girls' female anatomy exposed. Yeah, that's very safe and very protective, which is what Title IX was supposed to do for girls, isn't it? The NEA is a joke. It's an embarrassment. The teachers' unions are the reasons the public schools are in the state they are in. Well, the teachers' unions and the administrators and board members who kowtow to them. I said it yesterday. I'll say it again today. It's a hill upon which I will die. We are literally talking about the future of our country with our children being destroyed in this age of insanity. When history writes about the early 21st century, when they write about this first two or three decades now, now that we're in our third of this particular century, history is going to not be favorable. History is going to talk about the age of insanity in which we intentionally allowed the poisoning of our children's minds and the, and the destruction of their bodies to match their cultural trends. And that's exactly what this is all about. It's 925, right back. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Up in the morning and out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study him hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Okay, 928. I want to I follow up on the comment that I made at the end of the last segment. Um, the age of insanity that this is going to be looked back at uh, when history writes, its, uh, you know, writes itself. A 10-year-old boy, according to the New York Times, walked into a nurse's office of his school in Highland, New York, and asked for some Vaseline. He wanted to rub the Vaseline onto his new tattoo, which he got with his mother's permission. The nurse called the police. The boy's mother was arrested. Why? Because in New York, there was a law that says no one under the age of 18 can get a tattoo with or without parental consent. In support of that law, a doctor quoted in the article with the American Academy of Pediatrics, declared that kids under 18 don't have the agency to make a decision on permanently altering their body. You follow where I'm going with this? A doctor with the American Academy of Pediatrics declared that kids under 18 don't have the agency. That means the maturity Um, the mindset to be able to make decisions about permanently altering their bodies with tattoos. Yet the American Academy of Pediatrics fully endorses gender transitions, including surgeries 
for minors. So permanently altering your body for the purposes of art in the form of a tattoo, crime. Permanently altering one's body for the purposes of changing genders, yay, inclusive. This, my friends, is the age of insanity. The law, the medical profession, no tattoos. Don't permanently alter your body. But the law and the medical profession, sure, cut your your, your breasts off. Cut your genitals off. As long as you feel like that's what you want to do. Lord, help us all. 9.30. We'll come back after the news with Dakota Sawyer on AM 1420, The Answer. district was uh, a red speck in a sea of red and how basically he couldn't implement things like the 1619 project because his district was intolerant uh, to those things. Um, And I was really shocked that he would say something like that. Um, And when I overheard him uh, say, was really shocking, he said, uh, and, and I quote, these white people need a lesson. Whoa, 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 whoa. At the Ohio School Board Association conference, a, a, a board member at an Ohio school district declared these white people need a lesson? Correct. So, in other words, blatant racism and discrimination on display, as well as blatant partisan politics being substituted for academics, for education in the realm uh, w- which the public schools are charged with, with working. Um, Dakota, I've got somebody else on the line that I want to bring in because uh, I was speaking with her last night. Uh, you probably saw her as well. Amy Kissinger um, said she wanted to come on and talk a little bit about what we are, what you observed uh, as well. So let's bring her in. Amy Kissinger, thank you for joining us. It's good to have you back. We talked a few weeks ago before the election. How are you this morning? Good morning, Bob. I'm doing well. All right. So um, were you there as well, Amy, or are you just reacting to some of the same things that Dakota has reported on? I was there. I'm still here. Um, although yesterday was the portion of our conference where it was our business meeting, where each school district board could elect a delegate to come vote on the annual business. So that's what we were doing yesterday uh, when Dakota was covering some of our content. Got it. Okay. So give me your your you know overall summary or analysis of the stuff. We, we just took, covered two particular portions with Dakota, but your overall summary of what you heard. So there were four school districts who submitted a proposal to request that we add to our current legislative platform in Ohio. Our legislative platform at OSBA is the the game book, you know, the guidebook for our lobbyists. Tells them how to interact at the state house with our our representatives. Four different school districts submitted a resolution that said we would like to add to that legislative platform a plank that says Parents have a right to know all aspects of students and learning, school governance, finance, and personnel, that it's essential to a thorough and efficient system of public education as guaranteed by the Ohio Constitution and applicable laws. Parents and guardians are their children's first teachers and decision makers in education. Student learning is more likely to occur when there is an effective partnership between the school and parents and or guardians. Greater perennial parental involvement in the education of their children generally results in higher academic achievement. And it goes on 
affirming the rights of parents. Okay. And the, the action statement would be that OSBA, if we would adopt this, we would oppose any legislation that would restrict the rights of parents and or guardians. Okay. And Reasonable. I want to share with you some of the quotes, some of the statements that many, many Ohio school board members said in response to this. This is a ruse, they said. This is just a well-funded national movement by rich people, and it's about destroying the public's trust in local school boards. This is about stepping on the rights of students. This is contrary to equity. This is dangerous language. That was said numerous times. This is a solution looking for a problem. This is confusing. This is not needed. This is impractical. This is a solution looking for a problem. It's a distraction. This is an assault on education. And again, this is dangerous. Affirming parental rights is dangerous. Is Deferring, upon, de- letting, letting parents be what they are, which is the primary caregiver yes. and thus the primary uh, educator for a child. Uh, is dangerous is essentially yeah. what they're saying now Dakota you uh, commented on this and said this this uh, um, uh, parents rights resolution if you will wasn't even voted on yesterday right yes it was it, it was voted on yesterday oh, it was. Uh, and, and it, <clears throat> it it was voted on and it failed overwhelmingly um, unfortunately uh, and I, I did make a, a, a post about that one and a school board member said this and I quote uh, parents are not teachers and should have a limited say in what the curriculum is. Okay, and, and, and you know, again, curriculum is the key word here. By the way, just for clarification, Dakota, I'm, I'm looking at your, your Facebook where it said the OSBA just voted not to do a roll call vote on the parental rights amendment. So in other words, they changed, maybe they did that after you wrote that? Uh, yeah, Dakota, they, uh, I can well, they didn't do that if you'd like. Uh, you, please, go ahead, uh, Amy. So I made that motion. Before we started discussing that resolution, mm-hmm. I already knew that there was going to be significant controversy on it. So I made a motion that instead of just voting all in favor or all opposed, I asked for a roll call vote on that resolution because I think that people have a right to know exactly which school districts have board members who are opposed to parent parental involvement in this fashion. Right. So there was deliberation for nearly an hour just arguing about parliamentary procedure and numerous people speaking against a roll call vote. They were afraid of the transparency. They were afraid that it would be used against them. Right. They'd They'd have to go on the record as opposing parental rights, which, of course, is not going to be good for them. They fought it so hard. They fought it so hard, and that failed. But then the actual resolution failed as well. It failed hard and big, and the cheering and the fist bumps and the hooping and hollering and the celebrating about it failing is something I will never forget. This is it was this is disgusting. Just, this is beyond cringeworthy. Uh, this is this it's is horrible. This is horrific. The idea that a group of professional educators are celebrating the blocking out well, of parents members. from the uh, yeah uh, blocking out mm-hmm. of uh, you know the parents. Oh, I'm sorry, board members. Not a, well. I would call board members educators as well for crying out loud. They have to hire the superintendents. I think that that would be too generous. All right, fair enough. But these board members literally are celebrating blocking parents out of uh, the process of education of their kids. Dakota, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my under my observation of that meeting, it was uh, they wanted they had everybody coming up to speak against it, 
uh, and uh, there was a board member who wanted to speak for parental rights, um, and he they had made a motion to table uh, to table it indefinitely. Um, and they said, wait, 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 we haven't heard the opposition. And to the president and the parliamentarian, to, uh, to their credit, they did say, yes, we do need opposition. And that's when all the leftists in the room completely lost their mind when they said that they would have supporting testimony uh, to hear that parental's rights. Uh, and they bogged it down for a parliamentary procedure for about an hour, trying not to get people that support parents' rights the ability to speak at this business meeting, because uh, there were numerous districts that wanted to speak on it uh, in support of it, uh, and, and they just would not, uh, they just did not want that to happen. Uh, we're talking to Dakota Sawyer, uh, who is the host of the Monday Night Roundtable or co-host of the Monday Night Roundtable on AM fourteen or AM twelve twenty, the word rather, and Amy Kissinger, Kissinger who is a uh, uh, is a board, uh, school board member, a district school board. You're also a trustee with the board association, right, uh, Amy? I am for just a just a few more weary days. I'm right. coming to the close of a three year term that ends at the end help, of this year. Help me with understand OSBA. something. Help me understand something. Um, and and I don't know how I can make this more plain. <clears throat> if I'm a parent of a child who's struggling in math, and my child is struggling in math and algebra comes home to me and says, Dad, can you explain this to me? I can't get it. I can't figure it out. And I'm not qualified to help the, uh, my, my son with his math or my daughter with his math because uh, I haven't seen it in 40 years myself, uh, and I'm just not familiar. I, I, I hire somebody to, to tutor my child. I'm the employer. The tutor is the employee. The tutor is, is being hired specifically to educate my child in this subject matter. Is that not the entire public school education system? Are we not the employers and the bosses? We are hiring teachers in those buildings to educate our children on matters that we cannot educate them ourselves. That specifically is their job. Teach math, teach reading, teach biology, teach whatever it is, and that's it. Why do they act as if they are the employers and we are, are irrelevant in this process? They've outgamed us, Bob, and this is beyond repair. As a parent and as a school board member, yes, you're absolutely right, and I want to say so clearly right now, there is no one in this world more delusional right now than the American conservative Christian parent who is still sending their child to a public school. If you are hearing the reality of what is happening and you are still playing Russian roulette with your baby's life, there is nothing in the world more delusional than that person right now. I want to read uh, a tweet yesterday from yesterday from the NEA. Actually, I'm sorry, it was from Saturday from the National Education Association. Get both of you to respond to it. Dakota, you can go first. Educators love their students, not the students in their classrooms, theirs. They think they're theirs. Educators love their students and know better than anyone what they need. Um, that's essentially yep. saying we know, we know the kids better than the parents know the kids, and we know what the kids need better than the parents do. How do you respond, Dakota? Yeah, yeah, Bob. I, I I've gotten that message throughout the entire time I was here at this conference. Um, that's kind of the message that they were that they were saying in all of these classes that I had taken notes in. Um, that they that they know better than the parents. Um, that they should be the ones uh, in an SEL class. That they should be the ones to take their child to doctor's appointments, to dentist appointments, because, oh, the parent's too busy and they can't handle that themselves. So we'll take it upon ourselves to do it. Amy, what do you, how do you respond to it? <laughs> All of that's accurate. All of that's accurate. That's exactly what's happening. Uh, 
and they're being so open and honest about what their intentions are, what they want to do. Mm. And I always want to offer this disclaimer. There are so many wonderful, good teachers who are not subscribing to this. But I would also say that they are not shining the light on their colleagues who are. And so I have very limited grace for that. But they're telling us who they are. They're telling us what they want to do with our children. And yet we keep putting them on the bus and sending them. That is insanity. This can't be fixed at local school board election levels, by the way. You want to you want to replace one mm-hmm. seat or two seats every two years, over four years? This requires massive state legislation intervention. And if they don't step up to the plate, we're not fixing this quick enough to save our children. Last thing yeah. I'll ask you both here, because of our time, it's 9.54. Um, I've gotten competing versions of what's happening at the uh, Board of Education right now. One version is that the Shea resolution with the toll amendment is has passed the executive committee and could come to a vote a full vote of the um, of the uh, uh, board the uh, board of elections today or uh, of education beg your pardon today and i heard another one say no it is not it's the mcguire amendment that's going to be voted upon do you guys know what's happening today at the obe yeah 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 bob uh, i i had reported on that just yesterday the brendan shay's amendment uh well, his resolution with the toll amendment passed with a vote of five to two out of the executive committee um and i had spoken with uh, board member john hagan he says around two o'clock today uh will probably be the time that there would be a vote uh for that resolution with tolls amendment um that will be uh voted on by the state board of education uh at today's meeting is that the only one that was voted on or will they vote on multiple yeah, correct. Did, did multiple vo- votes uh, come out of that executive no. committee yesterday no uh mcguire's amendment failed and so did manchester's uh amendment fail um, Amy, both of those amendments had failed thank you dakota amy what is your what do you make of that and what do you think the chances are today uh, I think there's an excellent chance that it's going to happen. I think that they know their their chain is getting yanked. Uh, probably the more significant thing happening today is that the Senate primary and secondary um, education committee at 3 o'clock, where they're dropping right now is just a placeholder um, legislation. I've heard that it is an enormous piece of legislation proposed that will completely restructure and gut and redesign the Ohio Department of Education and force their focus back to academics and career readiness. Now, will they come through? It will be the first time they did in several years, but I, I have hope that they will. Uh, we need that to happen, but you know, now all of a sudden the state board is behaving a little bit better. Big shocker. Um, Amy, I'm sorry. I want to clarify. When I asked you what you make of that today, you said you think there's an excellent chance it will happen. Do you mean it being the vote or it being passage? Um, I, I think that there's a chance that they're going to vote as a, as a whole board on the toll amended Shea resolution. Um, and we may see something like a 10-9 vote in favor of it. Wow. Wow. Just the fact that that's possible, given the makeup of the board as I know it, uh, and I know it's changing, of course, uh, you know, with the with the elections from last Tuesday, uh, but that's an amazing thing to hear, and I certainly hope and pray to God mm-hmm. that is the case, because our girls and young women in, in, in schools in Ohio need the protection that Title IX has given them for the last 50 years. They cannot have that gutted yeah. now uh, by biological males playing dress-up. It cannot be allowed to happen. Uh, Dakota Sawyer, Amy Kissinger, thank you both for covering that yesterday. Obviously, you were part of it, uh, Amy, as a, as a trustee. Uh, please keep us posted. And if you guys get any info today from Columbus on either one of those, Amy, you talked about the Senate uh, uh, affairs 
uh, gutting the Ohio, uh, you know, the way Ohio's Board of Education operates. If you've got anything like that, please keep me in the loop. And uh, if we need to talk again tomorrow, we'll do it. Sounds good. I'm on right, my way to yeah, we'll ODE now, and then I'll be at the Senate hearing. Awesome. Dakota? Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. Amy Kissinger, Dakota Sawyer, teaming up with us to give us information on what happened yesterday with respect to uh, Ohio's education and our kids. They're trying so hard to block parents out of raising their own children. Again, friends, die with me on this hill or stand triumphantly with me upon it as we look down on the dead careers of these faux educators. Kersenow joins me after the news. We'll see you then. Onward in Dow number two we go. Ten minutes past ten o'clock. Always right radio. It is a Tuesday, the 15th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And uh, let's bring him in because we got a lot to cover. Peter Kersenow back with us. We can... Uh, yeah, Peter Kersenow is a member of the I'm a little bit thrown off by the music there. My apologies. Member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is, of course, a Cleveland attorney, a best-selling author. He is also a weekly or a regular columnist, rather, for National Review on, on, uh, Online. And he is the host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, you also have been my regular go-to guy. So thank you for sitting in for me last Friday when I was in D.C. How are you this morning? It was my, it was my pleasure. I'm doing great and great bumper music. That's my bumper music uh, while you're away. Uh, your great engineers know exactly what to play for me. You know, it's it's old man's music, but it's it's really energizing, pumping music. Born to be I wild like by Steppenwolf. I listen to old man music. It's uh, you know we we like to call it classic rock. I guess our kids would call it old man music or dinosaur rock. Uh, but I just didn't expect it there because we don't normally play it after they rejoin. Now I know why we did it for Peter Kersenow. Yeah, contemporary rock stinks. Let's face it. I mean, it's completely <laughs> soulless. It's ridiculous. You know, no, no, no. Steppenwolf. You know, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Sly and the Family Stone, even James Brown. It's not rock, but James Brown. You know, Son of a Gun. That music has soul to it. it it energizes you and i used to a uh, little known fact here i used to and a lot of people do this but this is before the days of earbuds and everything i used to get psyched up for football games before football games playing i want to take you higher by slime the family stones you listen to that at you know a 50 decibel pitch and you're going to want to run through a brick wall <laughs> and then after the game you pop in some james brown and then you want to kiss yourself right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Only when we win. <laughs> Only if you had a good game. Right? <laughs> Speaking of which, they don't have very many of those in Cleveland anymore. Uh, I, I think oh, if ever you're going to get, if you're ever going to get Kirsten off for one, it ought to be coming off of a game like that. I mean, could it be any worse, right? No, uh, no, I don't think so. You know, uh, thankfully, I didn't watch much of it. I saw it going downhill fast, and you know, look, I'm too old to be, you know, subjecting myself to this kind of misery. So if they can't get their act together within the first few minutes of the game, you know, and you know, we've been watching football long enough long enough, Bob, that we also can pretty much predict the trajectory. Yeah, there are surprises, but you get a sense, especially if you've watched the Browns for a while, as to which way the game's going to be going. Again, can always be surprises, but uh, I, yeah, life's too short. <laughs> Very well said. All right, Peter, let's talk about the quality of that life in America as it is now. I want to, yes, last week, obviously, we talked a little bit about um, uh, the election and the way things turned out, the no red wave. And as a matter of fact, we're on the brink of maybe having a barely one or two seat majority in the House. Fox News currently has it at 217 to 204, I think. So they need one more. 
confirmed victory to get a majority, which is good for the purposes of oversight and subpoena power and committee leadership and so forth. But, you know, legislatively, it's it's not going to be anything other than maybe a break check um, against anything the Senate might pass, which will remain Democrat one way or the other. Um, but what I said on my program last week, and I want you to respond to, is we did not get the knockout punch we wanted, but we also didn't get knocked out. Essentially, what we found here is we're in the middle of a fight. Um, you know, ring the bell. There's another round to come. We're still on our feet. We're still ready to go. Uh, we're going to be able to do better in the next two years than we did in the last two, simply because of oversight uh, uh, prospects and investigation prospects uh, and being a break check on, on runaway spending. So. That was my overall, but of course we can't hide the disappointment of the overall outcome that the red wave did not come. So Pete, launch with this. To what do you attribute that underperformance? Candidate quality? Impact of leadership? Both um, at the House and Senate side, as well as the uh, the RNC with Ronna McDaniel? Uh, the impact or lack thereof of former President Trump? Voter fraud? What? What? To what do you attribute the the results as we've seen them? Yeah, it's a, a number of factors, and you've hit upon some of the highlights of them. Uh, let's let's first address one of the easier ones: leadership. Now, I can't right now, and I you know when you do post postmortems on these types of things, you want to be credible about it. And I look at certain things, and you can point to a lot of deficiencies on the part of leadership, where they allocated money and who they emphasized, and so on and so forth, and the kind of candidates they they recruited. Um, I mean, I don't know all that, but, you know, it's going to require a deep dive. I do know this, Bob, and you know it, too, that when you have a debacle of these proportions, because historically this should have been a wave, all of the metrics pointed to just that, and everyone was predicting. Even Newt Gingrich was saying, you know, 40, 50 seats. And, you know, he's got a lot of experience and can count uh, votes pretty well. Uh, It didn't transpire, and in any organization, when you have a debacle of these proportions, regardless of whether or not you can pin the blame directly at the people at the top, they got to go. You can't reward failure like this. And I hate to be, you know, this draconian about it, but let's face it, we've had people in leadership positions for a long time, and this was a, a failure of catastrophic proportions. This should not have happened, and somebody needs to be held for, to account. And I would suggest that the leadership, even if you can't at this particular stage definitively assess that it's their fault, much of it has to be their fault um, to blow it this big. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. The leadership of the Republican Party, you mentioned Ronna McDaniel, you know, the speaker, uh, not the speaker, but the majority leader. Majority. Uh, right. And, um, you know, McConnell, those folks, McConnell's been around for a long time. Uh, people like him, you know, I know Hugh Hewitt likes him because he's good at, uh, you know, the legislative process and all of that. But, you know, regardless of what you think about him, um, it, it's time. Um, I apologize to anybody who's offended by that, he's, but he's got to go. Uh, then on, on top of everything else, what happened? Well, you know, we have to figure out what happened, but I would suggest a couple things. One is more long-term, uh, or two things that are long-term. One is that the Democrats have figured out, because of the party of government, which means they're the party of politics, they do this stuff much better than Republicans traditionally do. They figured out how to use the mail ballot system and all these other electoral changes that were inspired by COVID, actually, that COVID provided an excuse for. They've been wanting to do this, champing at the bit to do this for a long time. But they've been able to figure out early voting and mail ballot voting and all the other things that completely compromise elections. For me, you know, uh, Bob, when you're not around and you allow me to play in your little 
<laughs> room there, <laughs> you know, uh, and I have such a great time doing it. Very often, uh, in the last, I think I've had on him on three times, uh, my colleague Jay Christian Adams from the Civil Rights Commission, who's the premier election law expert in the country. He's been on, you know, he's been with the voting section of the DOJ. He has his own um, uh, nonprofit firm that does election integrity. He's won a number of cases at the highest levels. And he expressed to you, your audience, a number of factors. One of them is the whole change in the process post-COVID. He had predicted back in April of 2020 when Trump was still riding high at the outset of COVID and it didn't look like anybody could beat him. I remember him, he called me up and said, Pete, we've lost the election. I was baffled. I said, what? What are you talking about? The election's you know, eight, eight months away. And he talked about all the changes that Republicans haven't been on top of. They haven't calibrated their electoral mechanisms to take into consideration the, the widespread changes in voting laws. For me, two things need to happen. Either Republicans significantly change the election laws to turn into the kind of laws we had in the past when there wasn't this constant concern about election integrity. And there was a reason we didn't have the concerns, because there was the, the, the ability to engage in fraud was limited severely, not that you couldn't do it. Or if you don't do that, figure out how you get uh, up to speed with Democrats on the new changes in laws. For me, if it was up to me, I would say this is what I would do. If you can roll back these changes nationwide in every particular state, first of all, look at what the federal statutes say. The federal statute, 2 U.S. Code Section 7, I think it is, says that Tuesday next, after the first Monday in November, in every even-numbered year, is the election day in each state for representatives. Mm -hmm. Tuesday. The first Tuesday, right? That's what the law says. But we've been mucking around with it so much that it's almost unrecognizable compared to what we did just, say, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> to me, you have to have no early voting. Again, if you can't get this, then you've got to figure out how to accommodate all these changes, and the Republicans haven't done okay. so. But well, I would, let, I would return... Let me dive into that with you a little bit more, Pete, because I've I've had that discussion for the last few if, a couple of days on on the air and off the air. If we can on my podcast, if we're never going to get that toothpaste back in the tube, once you have allowed a month of early voting, there's no way you're going back to just election day, like you said, the first or Tuesday after the first Monday, blah blah blah. We're not going to do it because automatically that is voter suppression. That is disenfranchisement because, of course, somehow they're going to say it disproportionately impacts black voters or minority voters, which typically vote Democrat, blah, blah, blah. That's the argument. You're never going to get that undone. And you're also never going to get undone uh, uh, mail-in voting, if not universal, pretty much close to that because you have no excuse absentee balloting allowed now as well. Given the, that the Democrats have made hay with those things, we can either continue to, you know, tilt at windmills and buck, try to buck that and stop it, which I think is impossible, or we can say, okay, these are the new rules. We have to learn how to play better at them than they do. We have to ballot harvest. We have to do all of the things that they do, embracing early voting and mail-in voting, because that's how they're beating us. 
I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I agree with you entirely. I think that's going to be very difficult to do, but it's not impossible to do. But I, I agree, Republicans have got to get proficient on all the new mechanisms, new, the things that have been implemented in the last 10 years. But they've got to get proficient at that if they want to win. But I think you walk and chew gum at the same time. While you're getting yourself up to speed on these mechanisms, you also try to roll them back. And I agree, it's going to be voter suppression. Oh, my goodness, you know, this is racist, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? We are constantly cowed by that, and Democrats do that purposely along with their allies in the media, they do it purposely because they know that's their electoral advantage. And these, I hate to say this, but a lot of spineless Republicans, and I get it, they got to get elected, you know, and they will find the easiest path. But you know what? We elect them as conservatives to promote conservatism and not to do a slow roll toward liberalism. So you've got to do, there are about 10 things they need to do. One day of voting, period. One day of voting, in person, voter ID, paper ballot, no drop boxes, no ballot harvesting, you know, no absentee voting unless you're in the military, no criminals voting, no, no, you know, you don't send ballots to insane asylums either. You know, voting is sacred. If it's sacred, they keep telling us that, right? Voting is sacred. Democracy it's sacred, is sacred, yeah. Right. If it's sacred, treat it as such, not like some piece of refuse that we don't care about. We're treating it like a piece of garbage, like it's no big deal that you can do anything and preserve electoral integrity, and that is false. So for Republicans out there, by the way, we talk about candidate quality. Uh, yeah, I think we can look at candidate quality. I think that both sides need to look at candidate quality because let's talk about Fetterman, for example. Let's talk about Biden. <laughs> you know, what kind of candidate qualities are those? But that's one of the reasons why we must have same-day elections because no matter how you try to acclimate yourself to the new regime of, you know, two months worth of voting and voting by, you know, ESP, whatever it may be. <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, when you look at Fetterman, 600,000 votes were already cast by the time the first debate occurred. Because remember this also, the media is on the side of the Democrats. Unequivocally, we all know that. It's not merely a trope. And they completely covered up. You and I and your audience knew that Fetterman was a basket case. But the thing is, we have to look at it the way the masses of people do. I very often talk to extremely smart people, very knowledgeable people. They're well-read people who are completely oblivious about a number of major things, such as the border crisis. They don't know anything about it. It's stunning when I talk to them. Why? Because if you look at their media sources, MSNBC, CBS, etc., the New York Times, they don't cover it. In fact, there was a, an analysis done by um, the Media Research Center, and I, I don't have this precisely right. It's off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm usually pretty good about these things. They said between, I think it was uh, April and November, or April and October of this year, they looked at how much immigration, the illegal immigration was covered by mainstream media, that is all the networks, all the big cable stations, except for Fox and uh, New York Times, etc. And I believe it was a total of 46 minutes over six months, 46 minutes. Think about that every single day, every single day, the network news, or a total of 46 minutes across all these networks, and something like two thirds of that 46 minutes, or whatever the, the, the exact number was, yeah. was devoted toward the busing of migrants to Martha's Vineyard. So most people, most people who watch, you know, mainstream news have no idea what's going on there. None, because this is purposeful because the, the media is on the side of the Democrats, but also a lot of these issues are not their issues. They don't really care about them, even if they're not trying to sway the vote. So because of those reasons, I think it's important for us to 
walk and chew gum at the same time. I agree with you entirely. Get up to speed on the new regime, but at the same time, don't be shy about trying to get back to true electoral integrity. Well, uh, great analysis, obviously, all the way through. Um, I I think we're going to have to chew more than walk, I think. I really think it's going to be a very tough ask to go back to true election integrity and back to the way we used to do things. We just don't go backwards once they've gained this kind of progress and this, well, their version of progress but this kind of <laughs> this kind of power uh electorally and to make the rules the way that they do i think it's going to be very very tough we need our time out here pete it's ten we're going to talk one more uh short uh piece about the election integrity i'm going to ask your opinion on it uh based on the polls and then we're going to get into education as well because um the nea and the ohio school boards association as you may have heard in our conversation with dakota sawyer and with uh, amy kissinger uh our kids are in trouble and as such our country is in trouble and we'll cover that with Kirsten now next on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, it's 1028 now. Uh, let's get a quickie in here with Kirsten now about polling before we change subjects on the other side of the news. Peter, <clears throat> um, literally every poll um, that was conducted going into these midterm elections and over the course of the summer uh, said that the top issues for Americans were inflation slash economy, uh, crime and immigration in some order. Those, those have just been the things. Abortion became, started to climb that list after Roe, uh, with first of all the leak and then second, of course, of the actual official, uh, decision. But it was the top three things were inflation and crime and the, and, uh, and, uh, the border. All of which were terrible for Democrats, which is why literally every single, and I've looked, I've gone back to look at all the polling services mm-hmm. to see if any of them are flexing right now saying we called it. Our surveys were the most accurate. We knew the Democrats were going to do way better. Not true. All of them said either solid Republican gains or wave tsunami. Nobody said the Democrats were going to keep the Senate. Nobody said the Democrats were going to maybe come within a whisper of actually keeping the House as well. It was going to be a solid, you know, maybe 15, 20, 25 seat, maybe blow out 35, 40 seat majority in the House. Nobody saw it coming the other way, which begs the question, how the hell could all of the polling services be wrong if the voting was all on the up and up? It's like Biden running his campaign from his basement, doing next to nothing, and somehow getting 81 million votes more than any other president in the history of, of presidential elections. How can that be explained, Peter? Yeah, well, it's hard to explain, isn't it? Very hard to explain, and it's going to take a lot of time to figure it out if it's not uh, at least somewhat attributable to some shenanigans. I'm not here to say it's there, because I don't know, but this is peculiar on steroids and would prompt any intelligent person to ask, wait a minute. How could everyone get it this dramatically wrong in opposition to all of the historical indices of what should have happened? If, and, you know, I've been on your show before, and you know at the Talkers Tour, I gave the metrics for what has happened in the past yeah. and what to expect. And I'm not the only one. I mean, the people much smarter than me and more invested in this, like Newt Gingrich did it. And people were expecting blowouts of 50 in the House, you know, maybe four, a few, few uh, four or five in the Senate, a uh, number of governorships. Did not happen, despite all the things that you mentioned, all of the indices going heavily in Republican direction. So, you know what? We have a First Amendment, uh, and it's principally so that we can secure our rights. 
in the most basic right, the only way you do it is making sure that you elect people who pass the appropriate laws, conduct the appropriate oversight. And when people talk about election denialism, it gets me nuts because Democrats invented election denialism. You know, we don't have to go back that far. You can go back to Al Gore, who is maybe one of the more principal election deniers. But every Democrat who loses, at least at the national scale, has been a denier on steroids. What do we have for the last five, six years? It was denial by everybody on the left, including the media organs, the media organs who are now the first to say election denial, election denial. They were denying the results of the election in the most absurd they fashion. Did, they they did spent in, millions on an investigation that went nowhere. They did it nothing. in 16. They denied in 18. And, and, and of course, that's okay. It's only an attack or a threat on democracy if Republicans question the results, uh, yep, which makes too many us election deniers. And all right, we're doing, Bobby, too many Republicans play along. Yes, they do. And all we're doing is asking questions here. Like I said, these polling services make their money getting commissionings to do future polls. How do they get hired to do future polls? Based on the accuracy of their past performance. All of them got it wrong. All of them got it so massively wrong. They're all terrible at what they do. They were just completely hoodwinked. And and, and this is the real feeling of the electorate. Hogwash. I have a right to ask whether or not that's real without being called some sort of threat to democracy. We'll be back. Okay, 1057. I want to remind you uh, what we're talking about next coming up after the top of the hour is going to be um, the Great Reset, which you probably have heard a lot about. You may not know the details. You may not know where it originated. You may not know what it means going forward for you, for your children, whether it's five years down the road, whether it's ten years down the road. Uh, you may know some of these things. You may not. Tom DeWeese is going to break it down for us, a thumbnail sketch version on the air here in a few minutes, uh, a much more in-depth 45-minute presentation tomorrow live in person. I want you to know how to be there at the church. You have to register. You can't just walk up and walk in. You have to register at citizensforfreespeech.org, and you have to, uh, and then forward slash Ohio. That's how you can be there. You can also watch the live stream via Zoom if you register, and then you email and get the link to join the Zoom call. That will be also available at citizensforfreespeech.org slash Ohio. We're going to blast this out to Citizens for Free Speech members all over the country. And Tom is going, I'll have a little mini presentation about what CFFS is up to in the latest in Ohio and around the country. Patrick Wood, our um, uh, executive director and founder of CFFS, uh, he will be on it as well. But the featured speaker who will not only present is going to be Tom DeWeese, and he is also going to take your questions. We'll have a healthy, robust Q&A session so that you can really learn more uh, about the Great Reset and uh, where we're headed in terms of our rights in this country. So Tom DeWeese, the founder and president of the American Policy Center in Northfield with us uh, tomorrow night. And he'll be with me live coming up uh, right after the top of the hour news here on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, so make sure that you are prepared for that by going to citizensforfreespeech.org. And again, forward slash Ohio. We will see you tomorrow at 9 in Northfield, and Tom DeWeese will give us a preview next, right here on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know 
And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward, we roll into hour number three, eight minutes after 11 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 15th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you to Peter Kersenow. Terrific information, as we always have come to expect from Pete, uh, on every single one of those issues, not the least of which the uh, election fraud and uh, the ongoing attempt to take parents' rights away from them nationally and here in the state of Ohio. We want to go now to a larger issue. We're going to go to a global issue. Because that is exactly what the Great Reset promises, uh, global changes. The Great Reset can be defined by at least one man as the reorganization of human society. That means a massive change or the outright elimination of our economy, income sources and jobs, private property, personal privacy, individual choice, families as we know them, information sources, communication, entertainment, energy source and use, education process, food source, housing, cities, farms, health care, national sovereignty, and our system of government. And the goal is to accomplish all of those changes by 2030. Now, those are not my words. Those, those are the words from an article on the Great Reset from last year, March of 2021, by Tom DeWeese. Tom DeWeese is the founder and the president of the American Policy Center, a nonprofit grassroots action and education foundation, which is dedicated to the promotion of free enterprise and limited government. He is trying to sound the alarm, as are others, uh, on the Great Reset and what it means for us moving forward. He's going to present on that tomorrow night, as I've been telling you, at our Citizens for Free Speech Town Hall event, coming to you live from Northfield at the Liberty Valley Church. We want you to be there, and if you can't be there, we want you to watch on Zoom and hear with a little preview of what's to come is Tom DeWeese. Tom, thank you so much for joining us this morning here in Cleveland. How are you? I'm doing well, Bob. Thanks for having me. You know, I read that um, that little snippet of your piece from uh, a year ago, and uh, I'm I'm just blown away by the size of it all, by the scope of th- that those you know that many changes coming to our lives, which is essentially every aspect of our lives, and the equally massive in scope is the number of agencies and organizations and governments uh, that are behind it that are that are pooling their resources and trying to make this happen. Can you talk to us about that aspect? Talk to us about who the um, the drivers of the Great Reset are and why they want to change the lives of virtually really everyone on planet Earth. Yeah. Well, they've been, you know, these global forces, uh, you know, the United Nations has been working for at least five decades to, uh, and probably longer than that, to put, you know, these kind of changes in place. The, the goal 
is to have a globalist, a world government where they make all the decisions. And, you know, that, that means you can't have sovereign, uh, independent nations that are thinking otherwise. And uh, the question becomes, how do they get that done? But what well, a lot of people don't realize, of course, you've got, as you mentioned, the World uh, Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab, who has become one of the most powerful forces in this uh, over the last uh, several years, uh, and uh, several other uh, global organizations. But what, what people don't realize is there are thousands of non-governmental organizations, NGOs, private organizations, some of them in the radical environmental movement, some in the education movement, so forth, that uh, the way they're doing this is at the local level, these NGOs surround your local uh, representatives, your city councilmen, your county commissioners, people like that, and your state legislators, and uh, they have all these different programs, just a little little thing here to uh, help improve the community and help development and, and that sort of thing, or in the in the uh, uh, in the education system, you know they're they're going into the um, uh, you know the uh, board of election excuse me the board of education I can't get it out of my head uh, and uh, doing exactly the same thing, and they have all these little pieces and parts of the program, and they know exactly how to present it. And, and then they also know exactly what government uh, grants they can get. And they and so they come to your city councilman and say, hey, got it all right here in a box for you, got the money for you too. And eventually your local elected representatives begin to think this is the normal uh, system of government. This is just, They'll always use the line, this is just how it's being done now. And what ends up with that is they are putting in policies. Uh, you, you look in your own local uh, community development uh, plan that every community has, and you will see them talking about uh, global, uh, you know, uh, energy policies, plumbing, uh, international plumbing rules, uh, electrical, all those kind of things. And all of this leads to the, 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 the argument that they use for all of this is climate change. This is the fear factor, the threat of environmental Armageddon. If we don't do this now, everything will be destroyed. And so we've got to do th- all these little par- pieces and parts and put them in place. And, uh, uh, you know, this is, this is what needs to be done. And, but it's okay. done on that local level with these, this army of the shock troops of the UN and these NGOs. The uh, Nature Conservancy, the World uh, Wild, uh, uh, the, um, t- thank you. I don't know yeah. why my brain isn't working. No, it's okay. Uh, let, let me yeah. jump in here for a second, Tom, because I want you to continue, but I want to understand this from a flowchart perspective. I want to know who's mm-hmm. using whom. In other words, mm-hmm. the the largest globalists, you know, the Klaus Schwab's, the World Health Organization, the World uh, Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the World Economic Forum, all of these uh, uh, groups that are global and in, in, in massive in size and scale, uh, impacted by and, in fact, working with some of the world governments. Um, are they using these NGOs to advance their cause and saying these are the people we need to win the hearts and minds at the local levels? Or are the hearts, or excuse me, are the NGOs the ones driving all of this and, uh, and, and that the, that the massive globalists are using, or excuse me, are following their lead? In other words, they're, they're forcing these changes because it's what they want. Well, I mean, they've been working together for a long, long time, and you have 
individual leaders, of course, leaders in the United Nations, but uh, and Klaus Schwab, people like that. You've got George Soros, who is funding a great deal of it. They have their own vision of where they want this to be. Uh, Klaus Schwab wrote it in his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, and uh, very clearly outlined what he wants to do. The, these NGO organizations, uh, you know, they uh, – I, I know – myself that these these environmental organizations understand this has nothing to do with the environment it has to do with power it has to do with uh with wealth and uh they use that as the excuse everything comes down to that but they're looking at the entire economy uh everything so they work hand in hand the uh like for example in, in 1992 at the earth summit in rio de janeiro where agenda 21 came from there were 50,000 delegates there and Thousands of those were these NGO groups, and uh, you know the the document they came out with, Agenda 21, plus some other documents they they came out with then, uh, had all of these pieces and parts in this. This is how they get power, and uh, and then that's a great deal of it that they have the influence, they have the power, and of course that gets them the riches as well to uh, you know to build on on what they're doing. So we're talking with Tom DeWeese, if you just turned us on. Tom DeWeese is going to be our featured speaker and presenter tomorrow night at Citizens for Free Speech National Town Hall at the Liberty Valley Church in Northfield. I want you to be there. We want to pack that church up, and I believe we will. In fact, it may already be packed with reservations, but reserve your spot at uh, citizensforfreespeech.org forward slash Ohio. And if you can't get there, you can watch it streamed via Zoom, but you have to get a link for that stream, and you have to get that by also registering at citizensforfreespeech.org. Tom is the founder and president of the American Policy Center. I want to ask a very simplistic question, and I ask this of people all the time when it comes to these types of things. If I'm Klaus Schwab, and I'm, I'm, you know, some of the leaders of the United Nations, some of the leaders of the World Economic Forum and these other things, they pretty much have all-consuming power. They pretty much have unlimited wealth. What is their goal? What is their reason for wanting to take over the world and to change all of these aspects of all of our lives if they believe it's not for climate purposes? And I agree with that. I think think power just kind of, you know, the old adage, power corrupts, uh, uh, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And is it just for the sake of that, just so they can sit back and and do finger tents and say, ha-ha, we control the world now, because they pretty much are living lives of all, you know, unlimited power and unlimited wealth as it is. So why take these steps? Well, you know, I've said many times these people are diabolical in what they're doing. Always in the past, there's always been some tyrant somewhere who wanted to rule the world. You know, we had the Hitlers and, you know, all these people in the past that, that want to rule the world. Why did they want to? They wanted to you know, control other people and how they think and how they live. And you look at all these policies that they're trying to put in place and destroying economies, destroying people's way of life. They've got to live in that, too. So why? Why would they want to do that? But these people have figured out a way to get us to voluntarily give up our liberties with this threat of climate change. Instead of putting an army together and going in and breaking things and killing people, this is uh, you know, what they're doing to subjugate us, and people are voluntarily doing it. Uh, why? I mean, I, I have no idea what, you know, what they're, they think they're doing, because it makes no sense. Because every single time this has been tried, it's collapsed. It doesn't work. Uh, it creates misery. It, cal- it creates disaster uh, for everyone. And they have to live in that world, too. But 
they've bought into this, and they uh, it's, it's climbing the ladder to power. Who's who's ruling? Who's making the the decisions? And you know the things that Klaus Schwab is doing uh, to uh, you know all, our entire economy, attacking it. Uh, you know everything involved, I and mean, it's it's a very difficult question to answer because I don't mm-hmm. think that way, right? And it, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> no, I get that. I, I'm just yeah. trying to figure out exactly, like I yeah. said, what the motivation is too. for the most powerful people in the world to say, "Not yeah. enough. I want more power. I want to see people yeah. completely yeah. subjugated to my whims and my will." And that's yeah. uh, that's what makes it so difficult. Um, so, so Tom DeWeese, when when we talk about these things and we get a presentation from you tomorrow, you're going to explain in much more depth the, the threat uh, and and how dangerous this is for us. Will there be included in your in your comments any suggestions? What do we do? How do we push back yeah. against such massive global forces from our own little communities and little you know towns in uh, in Ohio or wherever else you might be speaking? Yeah, that that is really the whole focus of my work right now. We've been spreading the alarm trying to warn people of, of what was coming, and uh, now we're focusing on what do we do about it. I, uh, I coined the term building a freedom pod in your community. What I've seen, I mean, first of all, the other side, the people putting these things in place, understand the local level. They're the ones that created the slogan, uh, think globally and act locally. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have been putting these things in place every single even small appointed board or small elected uh, position uh, has influence, and they have focused on that and taking it all over. Meanwhile, those of us who uh, you know hold our positions of limited government and free enterprise and so forth, uh, we, we want limited government because we don't like government, and because we don't like government, we don't want to be involved. And so we're not at city council meetings. We're not at county commission meetings. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, these NGOs are surrounding your elected officials, giving them all this stuff, and they make us sound like nuts because if one of us happens to walk in and say something about it, what we have to do to fight this is at the local level. The idea of trying to influence Congress by individuals around the country isn't going to happen. Uh, I guarantee you, if you try to send a petition to Nancy Pelosi to protect property rights, it's not going to happen. Uh, but if in your local community you can organize and begin to protect property rights, local businesses, uh, your right to live as, as you choose uh, in your own personal life, uh, and getting people in the uh, city councils, your county commissions, that sort of thing, then you can begin to change things. But the problem is it takes a lot of work that people don't want to do. But we are teaching people how to organize a Freedom Pod. First of all, you have to do research and know who your enemy is. And uh, then, you, you know, that gives you an idea of what to do about it. And we got several ideas on how to do that. I'm going to go over some of that uh, tomorrow night. Uh, we put a whole manual together on, on how to do this. And we're beginning to build freedom pods across the country. And uh, we got to do more. But uh, it started. And well, people, I've seen more people rise up now than ever before starting to understand what the threat is. 
Well, super quick on that. I'm lo- I love to hear you talk about Freedom Pods because that's exactly what we have developed uh, at Citizens for Free Speech through our local activist mm-hmm. app, uh, which is a social media of sorts, but it's specifically for activists. We have Freedom Pods for people in their communities to develop and work together so they can collaborate and share information, have conversation, video, uh, or or just uh, by by text. Uh, uh, so Freedom Pods are a very important part of what we're doing at Local Activists. I suppose that's why it's just perfect that we have you coming in tomorrow for our National Town Hall. And, Tom, yeah. I want to ask you one last question for this particular session because we'll get all the details tomorrow. I want to talk about digitiza- digital, digitalization Excuse me, of virtually everything. Alex Newman wrote about this, uh, and this is the fact that virtually every major news outlet and network is promoting microchipping under the skin as a tool, tool for payments, keyless entry ID, vaccine passports. Is this designed to pull people away from faith because we all know about the book of revelations and the mark of the beast and that sort of thing or is this just uh, a push toward the transhumanism that many people are very very alarmed and fearful of the uh you know the the integration of machine and man it's probably a little bit of both on it uh, i mean this is the complete control of every action you take and and you add to that, you know, all the other uh, things are using to watch every move you make, every every item. Uh, Klaus Schwab talks about in the Great Reset, every item that you buy can be watched. And if you they base it all on climate change and so forth. And if you're not doing it properly, then you're not a your your carbon footprint is affected. It'll affect your credit rating. It'll affect your ability to live. And they can just literally cut you out of society. But putting chips in you and knowing where you go and where uh, what you're doing, uh, how can you, how could we have little cabal meetings, you know, or we could have little meetings to try to fight back. Oh, they'll know we're there, so we can't do that. I mean, this is absolute, total control of everything in your life. You become the robot. It is um, it is frightening. It's terrifying, quite frankly. And um, yeah. the sad part about it is most Americans and maybe most of the world population do not know what it's about. They have no idea what they're in store for. And that's why we want to bring it to as many people as we can. So tomorrow, live and in person, Tom DeWeese will speak on this in much more detail than we have done now uh, at our Citizens for Free Speech Town Hall meeting in Northfield. Get uh, registered to be there in person at the Liberty Valley Church at citizensforfreespeech.org forward slash Ohio. You can also watch him via Zoom if you get registered at that very same address. Tom DeWeese of the American Policy Center. Thank you for the teaser here and giving us a little bit of an idea of what we can expect tomorrow. And thank you for what you do daily. You know, you pointed out uh, in in one of your articles that I read, you have been called a conspiracy theorist and a nut job and virtually everything but a man for 30 years. And yet you continue to shine a light on this because it's that important. That's courage. And that's something that should be respected by everybody. And it's certainly something that we appreciate here as well. All I, all I know how to do is fight back, and that's what we're going to do. Well, we're going to be in the ring with you. Tom DeWeese, thank you so much. Appreciate we'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks. You got it. All right, there's Tom DeWeese. We'll take our time out here at 1126, take this to our news, and that'll bring us uh, to the other side, and we'll have time for about eight, nine minutes of phone calls if you want to make them. Do it now, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. It's always right radio on AM 1420 The What you want. 
Giving you today's most important news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. Always right with Bob France. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On AM 1420, the answer. 11.34, we continue. Final segment of Always Right Radio for this Tuesday. Here's that urgent news message. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. In case you didn't hear the news, that's the reality of the situation. Uh, and if you want more detail on that, I can offer it to you. Uh, we we do. We've got a lot more detail from that uh, uh, that renowned uh, scholar. And Pastor Mark Robinson is exactly that. He's got the biology right on. He didn't need a degree for that. He didn't need a medical degree. Unlike, by the way, some of the doctors at the American Academy of Pediatricians who says that permanently inking a child's skin is a crime and parents who allow that to happen under the age of 18 should be arrested, but permanently chopping off a girl's breasts or chopping off a boy's penis is inclusive and affirming and a glorious thing. As little kids know exactly what they want when they're at that age. That age, unless of course they want a tattoo. <laughs> uh, let's go to the phones. We'll get a call here first from John in Chardon. John, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Good morning. Go ahead. Hey Bob. Good morning. Regarding election integrity, yes. I've got a ray of sunshine for you. I mm-hmm. think here in Ohio. We we do it right. I've been a poll worker over the years a couple times, and um, I think I think our people pride themselves on on running things correctly. So anyway, so I'm I'm sorry. What maybe I missed it? What is the ray of sunshine? Well, the ray of sunshine. You look around, like in Pennsylvania and uh, Arizona and everything, and they've got. Very big problems. Oh, so you mean just got... the fact that we don't have as much voter fraud slash irregularities or whatever? Just the fact that fact alone that that's what you mean? Yeah, I don't think we. Ha- okay. I mean, I haven't seen any. Actually, I think we our people pride themselves on running the elections properly. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying now, John, uh, th- and, and I appreciate that. My um, my response is um, we are still absolutely not in the clear. Um, we may not have seen examples uh, of fraud that are as blatant as we had to shut down the polls for three hours in, let's say, Cuyahoga County as opposed to Maricopa County because we didn't have any paper or ink. Uh, we, you know, there, there's been nothing as blatant as any of that, but there are still concerns because the machines we use are still hackable, and the fact that sadly. Uh, we still have the Eric voting system here, which is supposed to be responsible for cleaning up the voter rolls, but it can be corrupted and, in fact, uh, make them as as messed up as, as, as anybody can even imagine. There are things here that would make me feel better if we cleaned up, if we did not use... Uh, certain voting system machines, rather, and if we did not use the Eric uh, registration slash voter roll uh, situation, if we got rid of some of those, I'd feel much, much better. But but having said yeah. that, I agree with you. We don't have the blatant cheating and and problem. I want as slow as I could. 330-571-0574. Or you could also do info at N-E-O-C-A. Academy, N-E-O-C Academy, rather, dot org. Info at N-E-O-C Academy dot org. 
So it's just another event. Again, I don't want to confuse that with tomorrow night's event. That's why I've been holding off promoting it. But since we're talking schools and we're looking for answers, you may find them at that meeting. And you may want to be a part of bringing those answers to our kids. All right, that's it. That's all the time we've got for today. Thanks to my guests. We had Dakota Sori. We had Amy Kissinger. We had Peter Kersenau. We had Tom DeWeese. Thanks to my team, uh, to uh, Josh and to uh, Marcy and to Marianne. And thanks to you for listening. I hope you have a great day. Be well, be safe, stay free. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.